Hello everyone, my name is Felipe and this is the podcast Life with AI. The podcast that we talk about artificial intelligence in a simpler way. And for today's episode, I'm here with my friend Breno. Hello. And we're going to talk about binary neural networks and binary neural networks related to convolutional neural networks, which is the research project that Breno did here in France. And he will explain better. So introduce yourself, please. Okay, uh, so my name is Breno, and I did the same master as Philippe. I mean, we were at Telecom together. I just finished my thesis now. Uh, I did an internship, and I worked with a binary neural networks applied to computer vision. So we worked with uh, object detection. Great. So now let's introduce the subject. Because you were working with binary neural networks in this lab because of a reason. And why should we use binary neural networks instead of normal ones? And please explain the difference between them. Okay, so in a traditional neural network, uh, you have full precision layers and activations. So full precision means you are representing values as uh, float, float values. Yeah, and float is like 0.053 or 1.534. This is a float value. And a binary value, of course, is zeros and ones. Exactly. So you you binarize an, a network and you can show that by doing this, you lose precision. So you have a degraded performance. You have something that will not perform as well as a full precision network, but it comes at a, a great increase in speed. So you can show that by binarizing an architecture, you can achieve a 40 times faster inference. So this alone justifies the development and the research on binary neural networks, because once you can do inference 40 times faster, when compared to the same architecture, that performs just uh, as well. You can, for instance, deploy your uh, network on cheaper devices like uh, Raspberry Pi. Today, I think that uh, today's architectures, uh, they, the best models, they usually run on GPUs. Yeah, and many GPUs, actually, the, the best ones that we have today. Yeah, exactly. But like, we usually don't talk about the size of models, and that's pretty important if you want to apply something to the industry. Your models, they have to scale. You, you must be able to deploy the models to solve your application. So binary neural networks allows you to do that. So that's the motivation behind. Yeah, and talking research. about the, the size of the networks, I think that nowadays we have some models that the cost to make predictions and of course to train these models is higher than the revenue that they can bring to the application that they are being used for. So The, the model that Breno is going to talk about is much easier to train. It, is it easier to train or is it the same thing? Well, uh, I think that you have to, to, for training, that's for binary neural networks and like this, the, this, the, the, the idea of the, the model. So you have to use a GPU for training. But for inference, you can do in a Raspberry Pi, as you yeah, said. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. for training, is as hard as if it was a full precision. Yeah. But for inference time, it's much faster yeah. and cheaper also. Yeah. So Brandon, we will talk about that later. Yeah. So it allows you to have a lot of different applications that we couldn't have with the normal models, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's a model that will take the same, like uh, you don't gain a lot by binarizing when you talk about training. 
you actually complicate your life because you're imposing a really hard constraint on, on your model. But uh, for inference, well, uh, if you are using binary values to represent your network uh, and you compare it with a, a 64-bit float, your model is 64 times, uh, it, it, it will occupy 64 less uh, Space time. in memory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, well, you can, that, that a model that occupies one gigabyte will occupy us, uh, like, like much less much less space yeah okay i understand the motivation and the difference between them so can you explain the process of binarizing a network yeah yeah it's, yeah okay uh so when you all all happens on training so you impose the constraints on the weights of your network that um, for them to be binary we represent them as as with zeros and ones but we actually use minus one and plus one. This uh, has to do with the way we do the calculations, the multiplications and accumulations, so the MAC operations of our network, but we use minus one and plus one. And so we impose this constraint. It's a sort of regularization. I don't know if you already talked about it. You imp like you impose a constraint on training, so you you say to the network, okay, you are not going to pass a certain threshold for the sum of the squared values of your of your weight, and you include that on the loss function, or you can do it uh, by other. Yeah, you can use like dropouts. Yeah, you can. There use are many ways yeah. of regularization. Yeah, this is one of them. Exactly. So you are so you are doing this regularization of your weight, so you're do saying to them, yeah, you'll be constrained to minus one and plus one, and you're also imposing a constraint on the feature maps of your network. So they too must be minus one and plus one for for us to achieve uh, faster inference. All of this comes with the cost of, our, um, well, you probably don't gain as, you cannot represent as much information with binary values uh, when you compare to full precision. but we set out to do object detection with binary neural networks nevertheless. So the work in itself was very experimental. Uh, we had a lot of experiments that came out of the theory. So we had results at the beginning, for instance, we had a model that was doing object detection and we binarized everything and it just didn't work. So the model didn't train. Uh, if you think a bit about it, it makes sense that a fully binarized model won't work because the first layer, which is the layer that extracts ex extracts the most information, has a limited range if you if you impose the binarization. So you can even count the number of convolutions that you can do. So once we let the first layer to be full precision and the last layer to be full precision, because our method uh, was basically generating heat maps that predicted the center of objects. So the method name, if you if you want to talk about it. Uh, yeah, of course. Okay, so the method was called CenterNet and the idea behind the method is that uh, it detected the center of objects and for that it generated a heat map. So, oh, so it's important to say that object detection is the problem that we want to know where is an object. Of course, if there is an object, and where is it? Yeah, exactly. And to uh, to which class it belongs to. Yeah, of course. So the, the output is a bounding box saying where is the object and the class of what is this object, if it's a dog, if it's a cat, if it's a car. Yeah, exactly. And the heat map there is the center of the object. 
Yeah, exactly. So we were predicting that, and this model, it works for full precision, and we didn't know if it was going to work on binary, so we did the experiments. We verified that the first layer should be full precision, and that the layer that was generating the heat maps, so the last one, should be also be full precision. So we, when we did that, we started to have some results, so but it was not uh, it was not as performant as the full precision model. Like with this modification, we got to ten percent uh, mean average precision, which is uh, the metric. Ten percent lower. No, no, ten percent. Ah, just ten percent. Just ten okay. percent. Yeah. So there was a lot of work involving modifications and design choices, that finally took us to sixty five percent. Yes. While the same method, but in full precision, so it was performing at seventy five percent for uh, the Pascal dataset. Okay. So Pascal has twenty classes, and so the binarization, in the end, did allow us to uh, to to create a model that had uh, diminished performance, but was actually forty times faster than uh, the full precision counter counterpart. And so, and also smaller into memory, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because so, it, it's not only the inference time, but also the size of the model to put in a Raspberry Pi, for instance. Yeah, exactly. So if you think about, uh, if you want to make the same model with full precision that will occupy the same space as the binary one, and that has the same that has the same speed, I think you can forget about it. It's not going to be as fast as as, as binary. Uh, it it's not going to have the same performance if you impose this, the, the time constraint. Yeah, so having a full precision model with the same inference time and the same memory size of your binary model, it would have a much lower result, a much worse one. That That's it? Yeah, yeah, ex yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I That's agree. probably it. I, yeah. I think that uh, there are a lot of research being done there and uh, we cannot, well, uh, give a definitive answer to well, uh, what's the comp is there a limit to the complexity that we can represent using a binary uh, model? Uh, but from our our results, we actually got to something similar than uh, in the full precision, so the same order of magnitude at yeah. least. And just a small question mm -hmm. related to the network itself, because object detection can be done in one stage, the single stage, and two stage. This network, the center net, is one stage or two yeah, stages? So and we can, of course, explain what is one stage and two stages if we want to, or yeah, no, yeah, I yeah. can do it. So, uh, I'll start by the second part. So, uh, one stage and two stage object detectors are related to how we generate the predictions. So, we are going to generate bounding boxes around uh, objects and say to which class they belong to. One stage detectors, they do this all at once. So they're going to get the input and tell you this object belongs to this class and it's located inside this bounding box. Two stage detectors, they first will generate uh, the bounding box some, some by some way. And then they are going to classify that region proposal, what they call a region proposal. Yeah. So famous methods, f famous one stage detectors which are usually faster, um, are uh, like YOLO. YOLO, yeah. Yeah. So YOLO V1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. So th those are really the most famous um, one-stage detectors. And for two-stage detectors, uh, RCNNs and faster, faster yeah. RCNN. It's are... the most known ones. Yeah. And do you know which one are faster? 
between faster RCNN and YOLO like V6? Ah, no, it's YOLO. YOLO? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So normally single, single phase, single stage object detectors, they are faster than... Yeah, normally, yeah. Yeah, that's not, that, that's not a rule, I think, but uh, normally, yeah. Good to know. Yeah. So you talked about uh, the results that you had, and they are pretty cool. And something that I would like to say also is that, uh, and we can discuss that, of course, is that the research nowadays that we are having in, in this kind of networks, the CNNs and object detections, actually object detection, they are trying to have a lower inference time because of real-time applications. Mm -hmm. But CNNs in general, they are scaling up the size of the network and the number of hyperparameters, and they are forgetting about uh, the real-life applications, you know? I don't know if you agree with me. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So I think that today we have to start thinking about uh, models that uh, can be deployed. Uh, the industry cares mostly and will start to, to care more if we can offer models that solve problems, but solve them uh, at um, e efficiently. So increasing the number of parameters can only take you so far because uh, it's, you're going to require dedicated hardware that will not be cheap and well you can argue that you lose performance but it depends of your application also so uh, and it also depends of the that data set that you're training of the avail availability of data i think that yeah i think that uh, from now on we'll start to see more uh, applications of deep learning and uh, i i think that Binary neural networks, they come as an answer to how can I make this work? Uh, how can I solve this problem to my application uh, and make it cost efficient? So it's it's uh, an answer for that. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to talk about it because I think this research that you've done is very cool because you are going the opposite way of, the mo of most papers that are coming up right now because you try to decrease, not decrease the size of the model, but increase the speed and decrease the memory size. So congratulations about your research. And can you talk a little bit about the future? What do you think that if we have this kind of networks being applied in, in our days, how would it be? What do we need to apply these networks? Are they enough or yeah. we still need to improve to use it? Yeah, I think that uh, we can already, well, uh, we got to, to some results in my research and we actually showed that uh, it's, it was applicable. So it managed to detect all the vehicles we showed it. Uh, actually, most of the vehicles we showed uh, the network, it managed to detect them. So it was the, the 70, the, I'm sorry, the 65% mean average precision. Uh, it it was not detecting hard examples, but easy ones. It was already working, and uh, we we can already work with the easy examples. We can already apply things to, to to real to, life. To, to, yeah, we can already apply that to real life. So I think that all types of embedded systems can benefit from the application of binary neural networks. If you want to have a drone that is doing object detection, or uh, if you want to have uh, well, a toaster that recognizes your face uh, and you don't want a GPU, uh, you can do that with binary neural networks already. So the applications are many and I think that it's the sort of thing then that uh, 
as soon as you make that available, as soon as you make binary models available, uh, you can people can start using them uh, on their applications. So I think that the, the future should be, and, and I think it's going to, to happen, we're going to have better binar binarized models that are going to be easily deployable. deployable. And then, well, uh, you can do uh, whatever you want Great. with them. I mean, and about the drone example, there are two things there because buying a GPU, it's very expensive, guys. You, you will pay like 1,000 euros, 2,000 euros to have an okay GPU, a good GPU, not the best one, because I think the best ones are much more expensive than that. But no, you not only have a cheaper drone in this case, but you also have a lighter one because Raspberry Pis are much are a lighter than than GPUs. GPUs are heavier than Raspberry Pis, so you have many gains in some applications that you, that you don't really need the best performance. For example, in a X-ray detector, you need the best performance to be sure that there isn't a knife in a baggage, but yeah, but in the case of the street pole, you don't need the best, best performance. It's it's more important to have one model working in each pole with a Raspberry Pi than not that many models running on GPUs because you cannot have one GPU per pole, but you can have a Raspberry Pi or something even cheaper in each pole. And, and with them all together, we can have even a better result than having just one. So yeah, yeah. So it's, it's very cool. And thank you very much for coming. And a last question that I would like to ask, do you, do you have something to add to this episode? Something that you didn't talk and you would like to? I think, yeah, I think it, uh, yeah, I think that's one uh, thing that's important to say is that, well, the binary neural networks, they are, they are good for inference, but they are really hard to train. They are harder by comparison to full precision. So I think that, uh, that that's important. So. It may be that uh, one day we manage to make binar binary neural networks easier to train, but uh, as they are now, you still need a GPU to train them. So you still waste a lot of energy uh, on training. Uh, but I think that in the future, and that's something that could be nice, is that uh, if, you, if you can benefit from uh, lighter models on training, you can consume less energy. And that's more uh, environmental friendly so environment friendly cool cool so the last question that i would like to ask you is if you have uh, one sentence to say something to say not related to ai or related to ai related to everything you want to say go ahead huh, okay so uh i think that all of this that we talked about they they actually were not things that were straightforward in the beginning of my internship so i didn't know that uh well, uh, this question of efficiency was as important on the deep learning domain. I mean, uh, I didn't know that I could be that deploying a binarized architecture to a, a device could bring uh, as much benefit to uh, could have as many applications. Those were all things that I eventually started to think to motivate myself. And that's, that was really uh, 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 an important point of my, of, well, of the research that actually, well, you can do all the theory without thinking about, uh, and the experiments without thinking about this stuff, about the, the final application. But actually having that in mind uh, uh, served as a really important motivation. So 
I think that it's always good if you can to try to think where what you're doing, what like who's benefiting benefiting from what you're doing, and uh, and I think that's that's um, I mean it's not only on on research. I think that you when you work with people, you can always think uh, about how we are making the life of people people better. I mean, I don't know. I think that uh, it's hard to be motivated. So. If you can think about something that you're doing that is helping people or that is going to be applied, then maybe it's it's good for you to to find this motivation. And I think that usually you have to to think about it. It's not straightforward sometimes. So find your motivation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, a bit of like sometimes you work with something and you don't need to know what's going what's happening in the end but uh, to think about it can motivate you cool so motivation it's everything for me because i do many things at the same time and like this podcast is something i love to do and also my first research project when i had uh, just 19 years old I, i don't know if my professor is hearing it abex i came and i asked him to do this project with me he said like okay You think you have something? Show me something. If you if you do have something, we can work together. And I brought him something. We started working, and I was so motivated. I worked with him like from three years, and just in one of these three years, I got a, a scholarship, and it's a small scholarship. But we worked together. I was so motivated. I could do an internship at the same time, make more money, or I don't know. But I was so motivated to this project that I couldn't leave. And in the end, we had great results. So if Abex is hearing, thanks for thanks for working with me. Yeah, and I really agree with you that find your motivation is something really important. And thanks a lot for coming to record this episode with me. Thank you very much. And uh, so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Maybe it was a little bit more technical than normal, but I think I will bring some more technical stuff to this podcast because I think uh, it's the moment that you already have some small background into artificial intelligence and now we can bring more research and more applications, but not only the applications, but also how to train neural networks, which kind of neural networks can we use? What are the difference between them? I think it's very interesting. And I hope that you also think it's interesting. And guys, a very good news for you is that Breno is going to do an implementation of a binary neural network in a very simple data set for you to just understand how it works, how does it look like. And it's, it's going to be very good for me also because I have never seen this kind of networks and this kind of a, like this kind of binarization into a neural network. So I'm going to put the code in the, the GitHub. And of course, in this time, it was not me who developed the code, who produced the code, but Bren. So I'm going to put his name, of course, because it was him who created. But it's a very good news for you. So I will also include in the description of the episode the link for the GitHub code. So it's a very, very good news. And thanks, Breno, to to do it for us. So... Don't forget to follow the podcast on social media. The podcast on Instagram is podcast.lifewithai and on LinkedIn is just lifewithai. And until next Thursday, guys, goodbye. Goodbye.